You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, happy 2023, everybody. Did everyone stay up late? A little bit. Who made it to midnight? Anybody? Wow, I'm impressed. The early crowd. Okay. Well, I am uh, so grateful to be here today. I was joking with Pastor Phil recently. Uh, This is becoming a tradition or a trend, I guess. I'm the New Year's guy, but, you know, I don't hate it. I I do love it a lot. I like being the first one to speak into the year. So um, what better way really for us to set our hearts and minds right uh, than to dig into God's word, to be challenged by it, uh, and to be changed. So thank you for entrusting me with this opportunity and for being a church that longs for and cherishes the truth. So I've come to the realization recently that adulting is hard. Anyone there with me? Adulting is hard. And for those of you who aren't a millennial like me, adulting is a term that our generation loves to encapsulate all that it means to be an adult, okay? So one definition of adulting goes like this. It's the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. Well, one of those mundane but necessary tasks for me is grocery shopping, okay? Who loves grocery shopping by a raise of hands? Anybody just thrilled? Garrett, awesome. So for me, it's a necessary evil. And let me tell you, I do believe that there are two types of grocery shoppers in the world, okay? The first one is like my wife, okay, where they are exuberant about it. They go up and down every aisle. They pick whatever they want off the shelf and they just put it in the cart without a second thought. And then there's the second type of which I am the foremost, where every new purchase is actually a moment of crisis with an internal monologue going something like this. Now, Ryan... I know you love those peanut butter pretzels, but do you need those? How many do you have left at the house? Should you take a break from eating those? Is it a wise choice considering the quantity? Is there a healthier option? How does the cost today reflect inflation in the food market? Should I buy somewhere else? What risks will I accrue by buying these? And by the time my blood pressure is out there, and my self-talk is done, my wife has added five more things into the cart with a smile. So for those of you like me who are always counting the cost, I thought we would start out with something fun today and do a 2022 cost quiz, okay? So we're going to do a little quiz today, so get ready, you game show people, this is for you, although we're going to go very quickly and you're going to make your decisions in your head. There's going to be no raising of hands, so just pick your choice and then we're going to see how well you do. Sound good? So I need full participation. It'll make it fun. So here's the first question. This is reviewing this past year in 2022. Where was the most expensive city to live in 2022? So just think in your minds for a moment. We got Los Angeles, London, New York, and Singapore. All right, think about it. All right, what's our answer? Okay, I know that seems tricky. I'm sorry. This is the one that there was a tie. Actually, in 2022, there was a tie. The most expensive cities, New York and Singapore, were the same. Okay, who got that right? Anybody get one of those or both? Wow, very good. Okay, number two. What was the average home purchase price in the U.S. in 2022? There's some uh, numbers for you. 
So take a look quickly and make your choice. What do you think was the average price in the US? Okay, what was it? Who guessed 350,000? Wow, you guys are smart, okay. All right, yeah, if it was a million, yikes. Um, Okay, number three, I know you guys are gonna love this one. What was the highest recorded gas price in 2022? 550, 750, six dollars on the nose, or 643? All right, think about it. What's the answer? And it's in California, can you imagine? So if you're thinking about moving to California, don't. Okay, number four, which food item experienced the greatest inflation in 2022? I was actually just talking about this with somebody. Was it eggs, corn, candy, or beef? Think about it. All right, what is it? Yeah, have you guys noticed this? 20.9% increase this year. So if you love eggs, I'm so sorry for you. All right, last one. What was the highest price tag on a pair of shoes in 2022. I want you to really think about this for a second, all right? Think about shoes you've seen or what you've seen online. Okay, you have your answer choice? Okay, what is it? $126,500 for a pair of Louis Vuitton uh, Nike Air Force Ones, all right? I have a picture of those in case you wanna get them next week, all right? I honestly don't think they're that great, so but the average auction price is 126,000. So once we pick ourselves up off the floor, we can move on. So we may count the cost of gas, groceries, houses, shoes, all in the name of being responsible and wise. But how often, church, do we count the cost of following Jesus? Now, unlike the things of this world, Jesus has no price tag to which we say, praise God. But nonetheless, the scripture speaks of a high cost that must be considered. So today we're going to look into two different passages in the book of Luke, where Jesus urges those around him to count the cost of following him. And as I've been prayerfully considering this message, I'm convinced that the words of Jesus are as relevant for us today as they were for those in his day. And I pray that you're challenged throughout this message to ask yourself some questions. Have I counted the cost? Am I all in in my relationship with Jesus? Am I prepared to give what Jesus asks of me? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you on this New Year's Day and we are so grateful, Lord, for the life that we have. Father, for the blessings that we receive so freely from your hand, you are a God truly of mercy and of grace. So Lord, we celebrate the good things, but also we recognize that there is a call on our lives. And Father, that call has a cost with it. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us search our hearts and minds, be honest with ourselves today. Would you make us sober-minded, maybe reflecting on how we lived this past year and what we valued the most? And Father, would you give us eyes to see moving forward And would you move us, Lord, into a closer and closer relationship with you in the days ahead? I pray in Christ's name, amen. So turn with me uh, to Luke 14. That's where we're gonna start. Uh, We are gonna look at two different places. And really, I just want you to look at verse 25, Luke 14, 25. And we're gonna set up the context for where we're going today. 
And really, I just want to zero in on the phrase, great crowds. So I'm going to be using the CSB today, but the ESV also will have great crowds there. So what we see here in Luke 14, because we haven't been reading prior, is that Jesus is addressing the crowds, but he's not impressed by them. Instead of seeking to build his following, Jesus is whittling down the crowd to the few and the faithful as he urges them to count the cost. And as far as the ministry of Jesus goes, by Luke 14, it's in full swing. Jesus has been healing people, he's been stirring up the religious leaders, and he's been gathering a strong following wherever he goes. Jesus, at some level, seems to be a magnet for the crowds. People flock to him, longing to see him and to be touched by him. They're enamored with his teaching. They're captivated by his gentle strength. If we were to use today's modern standards for celebrity pastors, Jesus would be milking this. Crowds coming to him, longing to listen to him, willing to travel with him. By today's standards, Jesus had it made. All he needed was to keep the miracles coming, keep the love flowing, keep the words charming. But as we'll see, this isn't the case, is it? Jesus did not revel in their attention and he did not bask in the praises of people. This is because unlike us, Jesus is a soul searcher, not a people pleaser. Jesus was not fooled by the crowds and he wasn't charmed by their superficial affection. Why? The question is why? I believe John writes and tells us clearly in John chapter two, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You see, Jesus knows the heart. He's not impressed by outward claims or appearances. Jesus is able in an instant to winnow away all the pretense on the outside and to get down to the bare bones truth. There are so many illustrations I could show you in the scripture of this, but um, humor me just for three, okay? You can listen in, you can turn to these, or just listen as I describe these common interactions that Jesus had with people that shows that he knew the heart. So first one I want to share, John 3, Nicodemus, the chief Pharisee, comes to Jesus in the cover of night with veiled intentions. As Nick beat around the bush, Jesus drove the nail straight into his heart. Nicodemus, you're not even alive. Everything that you've done in life is of the flesh, not of God. You are completely unaware of what true wisdom is, even though you claim to be the teacher of Israel. That's because Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus. John 6, another famous story. Jesus had just fed more than 5,000 people with the fish and the loaves, and the crowd is absolutely thrilled as they think they've just cashed in on a lifetime supply of free food. As they chase down Jesus with outward reverence and good-looking intentions, Jesus calls their bluff. You don't want me. You want the stuff I can give to you. Stop pursuing the things that won't last and start focusing on what matters. Jesus knew what was in the heart of the crowd. 
One more, Mark chapter 10, one of my favorite stories. An ambitious, well-to-do leader comes to Jesus wanting to be a better person, desiring to add that secret ingredient to his moral checklist to get him in higher standing with God. And Jesus, like a surgeon with a scalpel, goes straight to the heart. You want to know the secret ingredient? You want to know what you're missing? Sell what you own. Loosen your grasp on your possessions and you will have eternal life. Jesus knew where this man's disease was and he went straight there. Jesus knew what was in the heart of the rich young ruler. So church, the fact is that Jesus was interested and he is still interested now in revealing the nature of our faith. He sees past what is on the surface to what is going on beneath. So with that understanding, let's turn together a few chapters back to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke 9, 57. Hopefully now you understand what the crowds were and Jesus' heart towards them. So Luke 9, 57, we're going to read down through 62 together. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So like in Luke 14, the crowds here are excited about Jesus. They're even willing to travel with him as he's going around doing ministry. They, like the apostle Peter, were willing to make bold claims about their commitment, I'll follow you anywhere. But Jesus knew the cost of that commitment. He wasn't willing to lower the bar or compromise on his standards. Jesus wasn't satisfied with half-hearted submission. In these verses, Jesus is laying out the cost of following him. And so I want us to step through these verses carefully. And I think we're going to see three areas specifically in our lives where we accrue a cost in following Jesus. So let's look at the first one together. The first area we see a cost is comfort, is comfort. Look back with me at 958. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So we learn if you do a little studying, there's a parallel account in Matthew 8, 19. And this eager volunteer in Jesus's squad was a scribe. Scribes were the dignified experts of the law who spent their time handling the official documents and the contracts. They were thought of highly by everybody and they were touted as the wise ones and the knowledgeable ones. Clearly, Jesus knew what was in this scribe's heart, didn't he? I can imagine Jesus thinking, will you follow me anywhere? Will you walk away from your comfortable lodging and give up your lavish furnishings? Will you be content without a roof over your head and a bed to keep you warm? 
Will you risk rejection while living a lifestyle of a beggar in this world, depending on the kindness of others? Will you accept a lot more menial than the animals of the field with no place to call home? As far as the scribe's response, we're left wondering, aren't we? One would hope that he would count the cost and be willing to pay the price for an eternal reward that far outweighs any earthly mansion. But it's doubtful when we look at the tone of this passage. Comfort, and specifically the comfort of home, had captured his heart so completely that it had left little room for wholesale commitment to Jesus. How could this scribe not be willing to give up his comfort when Jesus gave up the unfathomable comfort of heaven to be with us? How could he not have had the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the very form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited? But instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How could this scribe not see that the cost of following Jesus was worth it? But he wasn't the only one, was he? He wasn't the only one who chooses comfort over Jesus. We fall so easily into that, don't we? So let's do a little heart test. It's gonna get a little personal today. And you don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to say anything verbally, but I want you to ponder these questions as I ask them in regards to comfort. Would you be willing to go one week without TV? How about one week without the internet? I thought it would be easy, by the way. I've tried this for a day. It didn't go well for me, so... Would you be willing to give up your air conditioning or heat in your home? Would you be willing to give up your smartphone? Would you be content if while you and your family were away, your house burned to the ground with all the things in it? Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Church, if we're holding on to our homes and our earthly comforts more than Jesus, we've not accepted the cost of following him. And while Jesus might not ask us personally to give up everything we own like he did for some, he does ask us to count the cost and to hold nothing closer than him. Remember the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we see a cost here in the area of comfort, but we also see a cost in the area of riches. Look with me again at verses 59 and 60. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. So unlike the scribe, unlike the first man, this man, he experienced a great honor. He was called by Jesus himself to follow him. Jesus extended an invitation and he desired a complete commitment. However, there was something else on this man's mind. 
When we look at this man's request, we may be confused. I was confused when I first looked at this and I'm thinking he's being tenderhearted. He's being compassionate. He wants to go show compassion to his grieving family. But actually this was a common phrase used at the time, meaning let me wait Jesus until I get my inheritance. In other words, this man is requesting a deferral on Jesus's invite until he's secure with a backup plan. If this whole following Jesus thing fell through, he wanted to be sure to have the means to get himself out of it. Jesus's response is stunning. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. Literally let the world or the spiritually dead take care of the things that relate to them or the mundane things of life. This man was being called to something greater. And if he were to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, he couldn't be tied to future plans or false assurances. He was not to get stuck in the mud of earthly ambition. Instead of focusing on money, Jesus was calling this man to focus on the message of the gospel. And just like for that man in the first century, it's true for us as well. When money is more important than the message, then we have decided that the cost of following Jesus isn't worth it. So here's another heart test you'll love. How often do you find yourself thinking about money? Either what you have or what you want to have. How much do you worry about your financial future? How willing are you to give your money away? You see, money is simply a barometer of the heart. It reveals where we place our trust and our hope. So my question for you, are you like the man that Jesus called that was focused more on money than on the message of his kingdom? We must be willing as followers of Christ to accept this cost and value him above all earthly riches. If we do, we'll find the beautiful paradox to be true as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. So we've seen the cost when it comes to comfort and the cost when it comes to riches, but what Jesus confronts next, buckle up, is probably the hardest of all and it's the relationship cost the relationship cost. Look with me at verses 61 and 62. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we saw the comfortable scribe, we saw the money-minded man, and now there's one I will call the mama's boy. I don't know if that was really the case, but for fun, we'll call him mama's boy. This man makes a claim that he will follow Jesus like the scribe, but under a condition. He wants to go home and he wants to tie up loose ends with his family. Now, wait a second. He's wanting to do something good, right? Something good and kind, especially for a mama's boy. He wants to go say goodbye. Aren't we supposed to love our families and be kind to them in this way? How could Jesus refuse such a request? Now, I want to pause here and personally say, these are some of those verses that will keep you up at night. You're going to have to ponder them and ask the Lord for wisdom on these verses. They're hard, but I believe that we can know what Jesus is meaning here. And I think it 
it lies in this, that in Jesus, there is a high relationship cost. In other words, there's an essential change of allegiance. There's an essential change of allegiance. Think about marriage for a second. A man and a woman who enter a marriage covenant with one another, it fundamentally changes their relationship to their parents, right? In the same way, our allegiance to Jesus makes every other human relationship a lower priority and a lesser intensity. In other words, Jesus isn't rebuking this man for loving the wrong people. He's rebuking him for having the wrong priority the wrong priority. This man obviously had somewhat of an affection for the past. I imagine he misses home, the smells, the sights, the hugs, and this became his highest priority. In verse 62, Jesus uses this image of a plow. Um, I have an image that'll be on the screen. I know a lot of us aren't familiar, but For the agricultural society of the day, they knew exactly what this would mean when the plowman would come and he would cut into the the field. And what would happen is if the the plowman looked back, then the, the furrow would be crooked and the crop would not produce in abundance. So it's an amazing picture that Jesus is giving, that a focus on the past would prevent an abundant future. For this man that he was talking to, his attachment to earthly allegiances, even his parents and his siblings, would become a hindrance to following Jesus fully. But church, it gets even more intense. Let's look back to Luke chapter 14. Turn back with me. Luke 14, verses 26 and 27, as we continue with this theme of relationship cost. Listen to these words. Jesus says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's a lot to take, isn't it? And I wanna, again, help us understand what does Jesus mean? In the same vein as Luke 9, he's urging his followers to consider the cost of following him and specifically the cost in relationships. And Jesus knows that family relationships have such a hold on us, so he brings parents and siblings to the forefront. Now let's go ahead and and discuss the elephant in the verse, okay? The word hate. I'm sure as soon as you heard it, you got nervous. You're thinking, and rightfully so, how in the world is Jesus actually telling someone to hate their siblings and their parents? That seems so anti-Jesus, and you would be right, it is. This is a great time to put that hermeneutical helmet on as we do in kids' ministry, all right? And think about the context and other ways that this phrase, this wording is used. I want to show you a couple of these that will help Hate is not always used in a literal sense in the scripture, but as a means of comparison from intense love to lesser love, or to signify someone being chosen over and against another. I think we see a great example of it in the book of Malachi. Malachi 1.1, it says, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. 
Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. So here, hate carries the idea of not being chosen or not being preferred. So let's look at one more example. You're bearing with me. Thank you. Let's look at Matthew 10, 37 to get a clearer picture of this, even more so in the context. Jesus says there, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So with this in mind, sometimes I like looking at other translations because it sheds different light on the verse. And I think the New Living Translation in Luke 14, 26 helps us see this. It says in the NLT, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. There it is. Our love for Jesus must be so great that it looks like hatred towards everyone else. There can be no close seconds in our affection. Our allegiance to Jesus must make it seem like we're indifferent towards other relationships by comparison. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited, so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. Paul, like Jesus, isn't rebuking love for people, but he's rebuking a lack of proper priorities. Church, we have a priority problem, don't we? To count and accept the cost of following Jesus, we must put our relationships in their rightful place. And just when we think that it couldn't get any more personal, we hear this phrase, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean by this? Hating our own lives? I thought we were supposed to love ourselves. Again, this is hatred by means of comparison. We must so treasure Jesus and his will for our lives that we discount and disregard our own ambitions. Or in other words, our love for Jesus must reign supreme over our other desires. After all, we are doing nothing that our Lord Jesus had not done. He so treasured the Father that he hated his earthly life unto death on a cross. He counted it a joy to please his father and to accomplish his will, even at ultimate cost to himself. He is only calling us, brothers and sisters, to walk in his footsteps and to count the cost. So here's the burning question. What do we risk in not counting the cost? What does it look like to not consider these things that we're talking about this morning and take them to heart? Well, I love the Bible for so many reasons, but here's one of them. The Bible tells us, it explains in the next verses, what is the risk of not doing this, not considering and counting the cost. 
So I'm going to let the scripture speak uh, to us. Jesus tells us in the following verses two main things, and I think uh, the story he tells illustrates it. First, if we don't count the cost, our work will be foolish. Read along with me here, Luke 14, 28. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The way that Jesus states this makes it seem like an absurdity. (laughs) It puts the person who neglects counting the cost into the category of a fool. Why? Because the one who does not count the cost does not reap the reward. The one who does not count the cost will not reap the reward. So we see the importance of counting the cost in that way. But secondly, if we don't count the cost, our witness will be futile. Look at these words, verse 34. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty again? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. There's nothing to be gained, church, by being ignorant of the cost of following Jesus. We need to know it and we need to share it with people who we're leading to receive him. If we try to make wide the road that Jesus himself called narrow, who do we think we are? Let's not risk becoming useless, like discarded flavorless salt, but let's press on to make an impact in people's lives for eternity. This message has been a heavy one, I know. It's been a challenge. And as I've been thinking about it, it's been ministering to my own heart. I think as believers, we need to constantly be counting the cost of following Jesus. We need to accept the ways that Jesus is reclaiming areas of our lives or calling us to repent of the ways that we've clung to comfort, to riches, and to earthly relationships. We need to embrace the hard road that we are on as the one that leads to eternal reward. And for those of you who maybe don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship with him, I believe today is a call to count the cost and to see the eternal reward for following him. In closing today, I want to read you something very special to me. It's from a woman named Amy Carmichael. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She was a missionary in India at the turn of the 20th century. This is a poem that I actually have taped directly over my desk at home. So I look at it every single day and it's been such an encouragement to me whenever I'm having weeks or days where I feel weak spiritually or I need to be encouraged So as you consider this message and what this message means, I pray that these words would minister to you in a similar way. 
From prayer that asks that I may be, sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus are spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope that no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, these words resonate in our hearts and our minds. Father, we do not want to sink to be clods on this earth, but we want to be your fuel, Lord God. We want to burn with passion and desire. And Lord, we admit that so often we cling to the things that don't last. We cling to comfort. We cling to riches. We cling to our earthly relationships that at their best are just pictures and shadows of you. Lord, this is a sober message and it's a call for us to consider the cost. And Lord, thank you that it's not up to us ultimately because your, your power allows us to persevere. Father, because of your grace in our lives, we can run this race to the end. Father, not by our strength or by our power, but by your glory, keep leading us forward. Father, as we stare down a whole new year, Lord, we're filled with different emotions. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are hoping. But Lord, I pray that you would hold us tightly. That Lord Jesus, your voice would be the one that leads us. That we would value heaven above anything on this earth. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the riches of your word. It's like mining for gold. Father, would we all take our obligation seriously to lean into you, to continue seeking you through your word. And may you reveal yourself to us in wonderful ways in this year so that we will never be the same. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.